Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Williams. Joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Yay. Here I am, Jay. How's it going? <laughs> that wasn't very enthusiastic. I, I had my hand up even. But yeah, it was like you did, People a, couldn't hear it. you did a Superman pose that does not come over the audio. We're um, really paying for that good weather right now. Sorry, I had to just get that out We are there. paying for it. <laughs> I knew we'd pay for it. I knew it would happen. <laughs> but I, don't worry. This is short-lived. They got hit by that blizzard last night. It's funny. I looked at my weather app this morning, and it tells me how far off the high forecasted high is from the average high, and today it was zero degrees off. <laughs> so today so is exactly normal. normal, which is really funny. We it's so such a bizarre how winter. bizarre it's been. And I and I can only assume that the incredible weather is the reason why you and Christoph did not record a podcast last week. I yes, that's what I assume as well. I'll have to ask myself. I mean, Later. when people text me and say, hey, did you guys record a podcast this week? Where's the podcast? And I'm like, well, I wasn't here, so I don't know. Oh, come on now. I don't know. Look at you looking away. <laughs> I just, Well, no, I didn't. I wasn't here. I trust you guys. I trust you to, to carry on, to carry the torch. Misplaced. Misplaced, misplaced trust. trust. <laughs> Massive disappointments. That's what everybody in the office knows. If something's going to get done, it's going to be me. <laughs> Something, if the details, the only person that keeps details from falling through the cracks. We're just, we just continue to test the waters. Do, do people actually want this or not? Yes, they, they do. They do. People, which is exciting to us. It is exciting, but you know, it's a, it, with great excitement, power comes great responsibility. I mean, when you only work one day a week, what do the people expect? What are they, I There's mean, only really? so much you can fit in on one day. Well, not even one day. It's like a half a day. Yeah, it's true. Like, how much do you expect me to get in bef- done before Sunday at noon? Uh-huh. I got, you know, got football to watch. I mean, I don't know. Got basketball. It's all part of the plan. It's like illustrative of what this whole series is about. What do people actually need? Right? Definitely not a podcast. That's true. Right? See what I Certainly did Certainly not okay. our podcast. Certainly yeah. not our podcast. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, was that your attempt at a trans- uh, transition? I did a little bit there, yeah. I mean, you... I uh, turned it. I turned it. I mean... It's a slow turning. It's like it was a very slow turn. Titanic driving a houseboat versus a speedboat. Oh, I was going Titanic. <laughs> I feel like Titanic is more fitting for where this podcast is going. It's going to be great. Everyone yeah. is buckled up and ready to go. Is that what they did on the Titanic? They, they no, buckle, buckled up. People listening to us right now are doing that. I think more people are <laughs> listening to us are the like the band, the cellos, and everything, the orchestra that was playing on the Titanic to try to keep people calm. Remember that? No, I don't actually. <laughs> Yeah, they would play. They were playing, trying to like as the boat is capsizing. Oh my goodness, that's a horrific thought. Uh huh. Oh my. I mean, the whole thing was horrific. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. It's very sad. Why would you bring that up? All right, uh-huh. let's talk about Jesus <laughs> saying, "I am the resurrection and the life." This series, um, I feel like I say this every series because guess what? It's God's word, and whenever we spend God's word's incredible. It's an incredible gift to us. And anytime we spend time just soaking in it and considering it, hearing his voice through it, it's it's pretty powerful. But I do think this series of, you know, these statements of who Jesus says he is that, um, and I loved, by the way, I used it in the sermon. You, you heard it because I know you paid attention to everything in it. Um, but where I, you probably heard the part where I referenced quoted you oh, yeah i yeah. i listened to those parts, those parts very closely you probably have like a little search thing on your, you transcript <laughs> it and you're like did he mention me um but 
I do think that's a really critical thing each time to confront of, you know, am I able to hear what Jesus says about himself through the noise of what I say about him mm-hmm. or what I think about him? And clearly in the gospels, we see a lot of people not being able to do that. And we struggle to do that. And we don't even realize when we're struggling to do that. I mean, that's the point of, you know, Robbie would always say thing about blind blind spots is that you can't see them mm-hmm. and that's true like we we don't even know all the ways that we do this and one of the ways to confront any of those things is just to meditate on the things that Jesus says about himself and and it's very different to to go into like a text like this where you have the incarnate son of god telling us who he is and assuming that we will have blind spots, like assuming that our knowledge of him is not complete yet. So the, uh, actually in our How People Change class, there was an illustration of this. So this guy had a friend who was a blind woodworker. So imagine this. So he's using like tools of cutting, sanding wood. So imagine someone doing that who knew they were blind versus someone who assumed Mm. they could see. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> how much uh, more horrific it would be for someone who did not know they were blind trying to create furniture with saws and out of wood. But if you come to Jesus's statements and say, I am a fallible human being, and even if I've heard this a lot in my life, I know that my knowledge still is not yet 100% of what he would want it to be. We can enter into it assuming some blindness, and the way you deal with your blindness is different when you are aware that it's there. Yeah. Right. And you just function differently. So you're, you're like, I think when we're hearing Jesus, we think, okay, I need to like assume that some of my understanding is not exactly what he meant. Mm-hmm. And, and that I'm actually much more like the people who misunderstood him than I realized. And that's what I think you do. If you assume that you have some blindness yet, you just put yourself in their shoes and say, you know, if I was them, I probably would have reacted the same way. Yeah. Why? And then I think that's where we can start hearing him. Yeah. I agree. I This has been a very meaningful, for me personally, just listening to these texts and listening to these sermons has been so helpful. And I think it's so helpful because it's right where we live our life. Like these are concerns that end up overlapping with everyday life, especially with this one, with this delay. Like we should talk about that. Um, but the way Jesus delayed his yeah. handling of this situation intentionally. Yeah. Um, but I, I think... Anyways, I'll have to say, I agree with you. This is super important and super meaningful. And these texts are sometimes when our, the, the more religiosity we have, the harder we have, like the harder time we can have of hearing what Jesus is saying, unfortunately. And that's why it's important, I think, to slow down and really rethink what we've learned about it and what we've assumed as we've read it ourselves to hear, to hear Jesus in a fresh way. Yeah. And I, I was trying to do that, and I know you have too, in this series, and like we do with any series, one of the things about preparing a sermon is you are trying to come to it with fresh eyes. You're trying to come to it. It's so tempting, especially when and you've been in ministry for a long time, to kind of come at it with like, oh yeah, I already know. I already know what this means. I already know what it is. I already know what it's going to be. But to say, okay, like, yeah, I don't discount all of you know what I've learned you know, the sermons I've heard preached on it, other sermons I've preached on it, what I've learned in seminary, what I learned in study, like everything. I don't dismiss all that and discount all of it. Um, You can't. But I do want to come to it and say, I know I don't understand this completely. 
Like I, I know I don't. I know that I'm missing some things. Also, I know that there are things that maybe in the past in other contexts that needed to be stressed, but here today, you know, here, like in this place, in this time, what do we need to stress? And that's why when I looked at this passage, it just so stood out to me that like what you said about Jesus delaying and how it's all, it all has a purpose. There, there's a reason why he's doing everything. And, um, and I just think that we, we know that intellectually, but to really confront that and say, do I actually believe that God is sovereign? Do I actually believe that he's good? Do I actually believe he has a purpose? And then in his kindness, God doesn't just say, well, you know, trust me. He, Jesus says, like, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Like, if you want to know, is this going to be okay? If you want to say, like, oh, I hope... I, you know, I, I know that eventually this will be made right. Like, I think Martha kind of has a generic, like, I know that it's going to be okay at one point. But um, my my hope is in that event because um, I, I know because I, I know about that. Um, but Jesus is saying, like, no, I'm I'm the event. Like, I'm the I'm the thing. I'm the who I'm I'm the person. Um, and so have faith in me. I, I just thought like, man, for all the people that are going on these hard roads, because we know so many people that are going on these hard roads, but the, these are the kinds of passages that can be cornerstone passages to remember that even if I don't understand how he's going to do it, even if I don't understand what resurrection or redemption is going to look like, I know who the resurrection is. Like, I know who the redemption is. So, And that's what we take into our real lived experience. I mean, you, that contrast between do we hope in an event or do we hope in a person? Those are two very different ways of living, right? Because if you're hoping in a person, then you interact with that person. You trust the person. If you're just hoping for an event, that's impersonal, right? And it's always going to be future. So someday I'll have that. But right now life, is, <laughs> life isn't so, so great. And what Jesus opens up for us in the middle of this is that like they're suffering. So they suffered that delay yeah. caused suffering. Yeah. No doubt. Right. They're weeping because Lazarus dies. If you had been here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. Right. Like that's the exclamation. How often do we feel that in our life? Yeah. God, if you had just done something, this wouldn't have happened, but he makes it so clear that this is done because he loves them. Right. I, I just think that's that the is a mind blowing thing. That's the mind blowing thing. That's the thing that we can say intellectually, but then to be in a real situation where you have to look at it and say, it is because he loves me that I, that I'm going through this. It's not because I'm, you know, inconsequential or disposable. It's not because I'm too small for him to worry about. It's not because there's some bigger thing going on in the world and I just have to play my part in it. He actually, it's, it's, it is like, he's doing something bigger in the world, but he's also has a very specific purpose for, you in what you are going through and it would actually be unloving for him to remove that because if you think about if Jesus if if he hadn't been there I mean let's say he goes when Lazarus is still sick and still alive and he heals him what does that do like think about how much joy and peace and faith it would rob Mary and Martha and Lazarus of um they would still be like, oh, that's so great. We're so thankful. 
I mean, imagine if he could go back to before Lazarus even got sick and he put a protection around him so that nobody ever even knew he was going to get sick. You know what I mean? Like I've I've thought about that where like, we don't even know how many times we narrowly escape our lives. You know, my mother-in-law has said before, like you don't, we don't even know how many times we were one moment away from our lives being completely altered. And there's truth in that. So you think Jesus could have done it then, but there'd be like no glory. No one would have even known. Could have done it while he was ill. Could have done it right after he died, which is what he did to like, you know, the little girl, Jairus's daughter, like um, pulling pulling her out of death. He could have done it one day after the grieving, but he four days he'd been in the tomb. It's a long time mm-hmm. and a long time into their mourning and their grieving. And that's when he does it. And he doesn't do it for any other reason other than to maximize how God is glorified in that moment and the joy that we would receive, that they would receive from it. Yeah. Which you just start up to apply that to everyday life, that idea that, that, that I, I love how you said it, the delay, the delay was because of how much he loved them. So for our, in our lives, when we feel like, how long, Lord, will I need to put up with this? Just fill in the blank, whatever yep. this is. Um, if we can start to learn, and maybe we can get practical about what does that look like to learn to do that, but the reason you are, you know, quote unquote, putting up with this circumstance is because he loves you, not because he's withholding love from you, not because you've disappointed him or he's punishing you or if you just were more obedient, like we have all these ways in our mind, I think that we work that out. Yeah. If only I did this, then this wouldn't have happened. Um, different wirings do that differently, right? But but generally, I think we do that. We need to get to the place in what Jesus is teaching them is, and no matter it, whatever the circumstance is, you can trust that this is, your father loves you. I love you. And that is why I'm walking through this with you. And your suffering has an important place in my redemptive purposes for this world, what, what I'm doing in my kingdom. Your suffering is not insignificant. Their suffering wasn't insignificant, no. right? It's, he says that. It, it was really important. We join him in that. And I, I, so I think it'd be worth just thinking for a minute, like what does it look like to become the person where that is our reflex? You know, you hit the knee and the, the leg moves as a reflex, like, it's something we need to learn and be formed in so that when those we experience the suffering in the, in our life, we aren't thinking, well, he's not loving me or he's failing me right now. We're thinking his face is shining on me right now. So yeah. What would, what comes to your mind? Like, how do we start to help each other with that? So one way is so basic but it's the thing that I come back to over and over and over again. When anything happens in my life or in the people's lives that we are serving or friends or family, I'm never going to understand the circumstances first. I'm never going to have an answer. You know, we talked about how this past week we had a tragedy in our community and um, there's no, like I don't have an answer for, oh, well, this is why this happened and this is what's going to come out of this and that's what's... I, I don't know. So in all those times, like there is this very real response that is not flippant. It is not, it, it is so critical, which is to cling to Jesus, like to 
put my eyes on Jesus and say, I don't understand everything, but you, like I know you. And that should be the, the consistent cry of our hearts. It, it is John 6 of, are you going to leave too? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's Martha saying like, yeah, yeah, I know that thing's going to happen. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to go this Sunday into when they say, we don't know the way. How, how We don't know where you're going. How will we know the way? I am the way. When, when you think about like, w- what road am I supposed to take? Jesus saying, I am the door. Like, where, where am I going to find pasture? He's the door. He's the way. He's the resurrection and life. Like, this is, this is what keeps coming up over and over and over again. And so we get into trouble, I think, when we try, we try to put our hope even in, and this is going to sound, I know people can take this away, but even when we try to put our hope in a biblical truth, if we put that hope in the biblical truth detached from Jesus, then it's not actually going to bring life to us. It's not actually going to bring comfort. It's because, for example, if Mary and Martha, um, like the presence of Jesus is kind of comforting to them, but they don't really know what's going on yet. They don't, but clearly the the understanding that the resurrection was going to happen one day was only mildly comforting to Martha in that moment. The reason why those things are comforting is only to the extent that we are confident in them and how do we know that that God is actually with us. So like if sorry, I'm not I'm not saying that well. Let me let me try that again. Like we can say to each other flippantly, and we've heard this before. People say God is in control. Oh, God is in control. Yes. God is. God has a plan. Um, and it God, doesn't feel comforting necessarily. It, it right? doesn't necessarily, right? It only feels comforting if you know who He is and you believe Him. Mm-hmm. Then, like those flippant statements, you know, you're like, okay, well, I don't like the flippancy of people. People a lot of times just say that because they don't know what else to say. There's a difference between um, just flippantly saying God is in control, and by that we mean like, well, it's out of our it's out of our control, and so some higher power has something to do with this. It's very different than looking into the face of Jesus and saying you you are in control, mm-hmm. and so that discipline of picturing the face of Jesus, abiding in Him, and saying like you. I remember clearly when when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and I'm sure you had you had similar moments like this where I had to come face to face with that and say, "Okay, Jesus, you are in control of this, not some generic power." My hope is not in oh, if like some biblical principle that if I just pray in the specific way, or or even in. Like the reason why the passage of God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The reason why that's comforting is because it's paired with him saying, like, he who gave his own son, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Like, that's the evidence. So the evidence is looking at the cross then and saying, okay, this is why I believe you. You you took on the cross. You overcame the grave. That's why I... that. And, and so it's you that I'm putting my hope in, 
not in, well, um, like, you know, another example is raising children. I've had a lot of people say, like, put a lot of hope in the, in the passage of, um, you know, train them up in the way they should go and they will not depart from, from it. Um, well, yes, but I mean, it's a little out of context. And so that does, that can be comforting, but yet a lot of people deal with the great pain of their adult children leaving the faith after they did what they thought was training up. That's very different than saying like, Jesus, I trust you with my kids. Like you, you are the one that has to do like, I'm not, I'm not trusting in my training of them. I'm not trusting in taking them to the right church or the right event or doing the right family worship. Like that's not where my hope is. And we turn it into that. We turn into that so that we get to a place with our kids where we say, well, if I do all the right things, then that means they will then walk with Jesus. No, if Jesus, like if they abide in Jesus, like if, if Jesus holds on to them, then they will abide in Jesus. Like that's, he's the hope for, for parenting, for marriage, for um, honoring God in the workplace, for all these things. Yeah. It, it then, and ultimately in those circumstances, we're, we're doing a lot of like pain avoidance. Like we don't want to, them to experience suffering and we don't want to experience suffering. Yeah. And when we do, that means we did something wrong or this principle wasn't, you know, accurate. Right. And that's very different. I either than, messed up the principle or, yes. or it's messed up. Yes. So it all, it, it, our focus ends up being us Yeah. and our performance. It, that's what ends up happening with that. Whereas Jesus is teaching us, I am the focus. I am the only essential one. I am the source of everything you need. I am. And it's so different than the way we are wired to just look at ourselves. And whether it's in a prideful way, like I did this right, or a you know more humble and self-critical way of I did this horribly. And if I had done this right, whatever this is, things would have gone really well. That's just not the way the world works. You know, and so I like, I love what you said there. I, I was thinking one of the things that's so essential for us is to learn to remain attached to Jesus to like, that's another way of saying abide, right? Like we are attached to him as a branch is to a vine. And in, as we do our life, both the joys and the sorrows, our call, our faithful response is to remain attached, to do whatever we need to do to look to him. And as a person, like we keep emphasizing that. And the beautiful thing I think about this passage is we get a window into the very heart of God and how he responds to us as we deal with the sorrows of our life. So as Jesus responds to their sorrow, that he knew what he was going to do, he knew that Lazarus wouldn't be dead for long, he still wept. It's an amazing glimpse that God gave us there into his heart of compassion for us as we walk through our own confusion our own disorientation and sometimes feeling disintegrated as a person, he is having compassion on us. So to me, a very simple question that we can start asking ourselves and then help each other with when we go through a circumstance that we don't like is what is God's heart towards you in this moment? Like what is God feeling towards you as you walk through this disappointment or this sadness or this anxiety or fear? And I think this passage in John 11 gives us at least a good idea, a good starting place of what God might be feeling towards us in those moments. He's not indifferent to that suffering, even though he's in control. And even though what we're going through is because he loves us, he's not, 
he actually is filled with compassion, which again is to suffer with. He comes right alongside of us in relationship and weeps. And I, to me, that makes a massive difference to what it feels like is existentially to go through difficult things, to know what God's heart is in that moment. Yeah, I just, I mean, this this was part of, this was kind of the outline, but I was just thinking, sometimes this happens in the podcast where I'm like, oh, this is the sermon I should have preached. And, um, but that's part of the fun of processing it. And I, and I did have this outline and I did say a, a lot of these things. You I did. just sometimes wish that I would have like packaged them differently. You know how that, how that is. But I just think, okay, so, the points were like if i could if i could re-preach that sermon in 20 seconds it would be whatever road you're on he has a purpose he is with you he is not apathetic towards your situation towards your suffering and he is powerful to do all that he has purposed to do and if you ask how do i know how can i be sure look at the cross so when you ask yourself, does he have a purpose? Well, he had a purpose. He walked that very road, right? Hmm. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. There was a purpose and a plan. Father, not my will, but your will be done. He was not apathetic. Think about when he's on the cross. He ministers to the criminal on the cross. He ministers to his mother. He ministers to the crowd, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He is very attuned um, to what is going on and, and very intimate in it. And he, he raises from the dead, right? Like he overcomes the great. So, so when we see the argument in scripture, I'm out outside of the 20 seconds, by the way. This isn't, this is no longer the re-preaching of the sermon. I like this that question. Like we should ask that yeah. every week. Which Re-preach the sermon yeah. in 30 seconds. Yeah, there you go. That's, can, that's I a like good that question a good lot. Do. Um, But like, I just, I, I find when people struggle with those things, like if you're on a tough road right now, I'm curious, like if I was sitting with somebody that was struggling with that right now, I would be asking some of these questions of, do you believe God has a purpose? Not what is God's purpose in this? Do you believe he has a purpose in this? Do you believe that he is with you in your suffering and is is near to you and grieves with you? Or do you feel he's distant and apathetic? And do you believe that he can deliver you from this, that he can, he can take care of this and will in the right time to maximize his purposes in it. And, and I will tell you that the convincing argument in any of those is not proof texting of random passages. It is the cross. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, if you want the most, the strongest evidence that God has a plan in every suffering and everything that God that that Satan means for evil. Look at the cross. If you want evidence that Jesus is acquainted with our suffering and grieves with us, look at the cross. If you want evidence that Jesus is powerful and can take care of it, look at the cross. And if all that happens, now I don't have to figure out what the purpose is. I don't have to feel guilty about my grief and say, well, if I, if I really believe that God was in control, then I wouldn't be weeping. Jesus doesn't say to Mary and Martha, like, what, what's wrong with you? Don't you realize this is temporary? Don't you realize like what I'm like, he, he grieves with them. And then you wouldn't be worried about like, but what if he can't do anything? And I can tell you that 
in my life, that is what has brought me back and given me the most peace in all of those circumstances. I I mentioned, I didn't say this in the sermon, but in when I was teaching the class on preaching in seminary, I would talk a lot about prayer and you should always be praying as you prep, praying before you go up, praying like even as you're preaching. And somebody asked me, one of the students said, well, can you give me an example of what does that prayer sound like? And I was a little caught off guard. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. It was a great question. And I, I thought, I was like, okay, what is the most common prayer I pray? Most common prayer I pray, by far, I was a little embarrassed to even say it, but I just said, I, my com- most common prayer is help. Mm-hmm. Help me. That's what I'm praying most. If you see me before I go up there to preach, I it's nine times out of ten, the prayer is not some big articulate thing about... Like if I'm faithful in bringing the word, he's faithful. And like, there's not, it's, it's just, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at the cross. I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, help, help me. And it's because I can't think of anything like more important than me being able to articulate the points that I had thought of more important than me, even being able to exegete everything about the scripture in a way that makes sense to everybody. More important than any of that is me clinging to Jesus and believing in that moment that he has a plan for that time, that he understands my anxiety, my concerns, my whatever, and he's with them too, like anybody else's anxiety of like, oh, is Jay going to really ramble this time or whatever? He's with them in that. He's with me in that. He's with whoever is out there suffering, who some of these truths might be hard to hear at first. He is very much there with us and that he is powerful to bring anything out of whatever. It's like, that's an, that's an example there. Or when like you're dealing with illness, you're dealing with any of these difficulties, that's, that's what we need to be asking ourselves. Do you believe he has a purpose? Do you believe he's with you? Do you believe he's powerful to bring everything that he has purposed, like bring it to light? Um, and, and if that's hard to believe, which is totally understandable, but the evidence is the cross. Well, and I love that you gave that concrete example of what that sounds like. Because I, it illustrates that this is a relational, it's a relational dependence. Right. Right. So the cry of help me is personal. And that's the thing. I mean, that really needs to be our heartbeat every day, right? Is Lord, help me. Help me. It doesn't need to be. I love that it, it's a good example of simplicity of dependence. Mm-hmm. It's the simplicity of like, I don't need to articulate this perfectly for you to help me. I just need to cry to you. And that, that act of actually saying, verbalizing that is really important. Whatever, however it comes out, it might, it might be a longer sentence for some of us, but whatever it is, I just want to encourage people listening. That is an important step in this. The actual telling, both telling God, this is what I'm going through and saying, help me, help me. And when we say that, we're saying, help me to trust, help me to believe help me through this, all of those things. But yeah, I just, I love that example, Jay, because we can all do that in the middle of a day too. It doesn't require you to get away someplace. You can do that as you walk into the next meeting you have that you feel overwhelmed about. Help me, help me. Before I pick up the phone for a call that I know it's going to be stressful, right? Help me. That, that momentary thing is super transformative and powerful because he meets us in those moments. He's there. It's an act of faith to say, help me. Yeah, and and he he is a he. Yes. Not a what. Yes. And so I used to 
I mean, this is how this has played out a little bit. I used to assume that the fruitfulness of any sermon was based on my obedience in preparation. Hmm. Like if I put in the work, then God would reward that. And if I didn't, then I'd probably be disciplined or he'd like, well, you didn't, you didn't pray enough over this passage or you didn't prep enough or you, you know, you spent your time poorly. It, but I realized like that, that was me putting my hope in these transactional principles. You know, you see it a lot when people say like, well, I, I went about dating the right way and then I, but I'm still single. Or, you know, I, I gave, I faithfully gave money and now like my business didn't succeed. You know, just these transactional principles that we believe are, if you do this, then God will do this. And look, I'm not saying that there's none of that in scripture. I'm not saying that we, that there's not a truth to reaping what we sow, that, that there's not a, but it's always in faith to him, right? To a person. And it changes completely when you're dealing with a person. And we all know, we all have examples of this. There's, it's, um, there's a huge difference in me calling the plumber that I don't know and, and leading out with, here's what's going wrong. Like I need somebody to come over and, you know, and fix this and hoping for this transaction. That's very different than if my best buddy is a plumber and I, I trust him and I'm like, well, whatever's going on here, he's going to, he's going to deal with it. Like I, I, I'm confident in that. I know him. Um, and if I, if I miss, if I miss state what the problem is, he'll figure it out. And if I, you know, like if I didn't, I didn't have the area prepped properly. He'll figure it out. Like there's just this mentality of like, if it's with a person, there's a mentality of you're going to figure this out. I trust you. I don't trust that I did all these steps properly. I trust, I trust you. And I just think like we, we tend to, when we get lost in putting our hope in things and in principles, we get lost a little bit in, um, in the weeds and that's when we start creating these things of, oh, well, that's why I didn't go well, because I didn't do this. It, you see with quiet times, mm-hmm. like the motivation for a quiet time being like, well, when I spend time in the word, then every my day goes so much better. Okay, but it's when you spend time with Jesus and you're abiding in him all throughout the day. So to the extent that it is a catalyst, you know, like getting, you know, it'd be like saying, when I have, when I sleep well at night, my day, like I have more energy in the day. Well, yeah, but that's not because God rewarded you with energy because you obeyed him and you got the right amount of sleep. It's because that's the natural effect of resting well. The natural effect of, of abiding in Jesus is a continual abiding in Jesus. But if it's transactional and you just say, well, I'm going to read my chapter in the Bible. I'm going to get through my prayer list. And I got to get, I got to get through those things. And then if I got interrupted, well, now my day is probably going to go badly because I didn't, or if I overslept, my day is probably going to go badly because I didn't spend that time with God. Well, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you're like, yep, you're grumpy the whole day because you're like, I didn't live up to my end of the bargain. And now like, so I, well, I'm not, I'm not even going to ask God. I mean, this is transactional. Like I used to be yeah. when I, when I would skip a quiet time, I wouldn't even pray later in the day because I'd feel guilty because I'd be like, oh, now you're going to pray. I would shame myself about prayer 
um, because I had skipped, you know, skipped my quiet time. And now like I would shame myself by saying like, oh, now you're going to go to God. You couldn't get up this morning, but now you're going to, mm-hmm. now you're going to, you think he's going to hear you now. Like think about how broken yeah. that is. Mm-hmm. And I did it with sermon prep too, like praying for help before I used to be sheepish about that when I hadn't prepped the way I knew I could or should like, Oh, you think God's going to help you? Like, no, you're going to have to sit in this. Like, yep. Quiet time guilt like that is one of the worst things. Yeah. And I think the enemy uses it Oh my goodness! so much to separate us from, again, God as a person to God as a concept or God as like a genie or something that we have to, you know, say the right spell or do the right thing to get him to act. That's where I think that question can be so helpful in those moments for us to begin to ask ourselves. So say, say you're right now, you're listening to this and you're what Jay just described with guilt about, I didn't spend time with God the way I wanted to today. And that's on you right now. What if you ask yourself, what does God think about me right now? What does he feel towards me right now? And again, you're going to have to, like, there's not going to be a verse that you're going to read that says exactly that because your situation's unique. But you know, there's principles about who God is and how he feels towards you from the scriptures. And the one we just read in this week about Lazarus is, is a great example of it. He feels compassion towards you in your brokenness, even when you've disobeyed. It very, scripture is very clear that it's the, the spirit's response to our sin is grieve. He grieves it. He has grief, which is sadness. He doesn't want that for us because what it does to us, it's not just like a trivial thing that we didn't do the right thing and now we face the punishment. It's actually, he wants what's good for us. And what's good for us is going to be him and his ways. And so when we divert from that, that grieves him because he loves us so much. So if we didn't if we didn't connect with him how we wanted to, what does he feel towards you in that moment? I think that asking that question can really change what's going on internally and help us to focus on who this person is, how he has revealed himself. And like you said, Jay, we have to always do that with the cross in mind and who he revealed himself to be at the cross. Yeah, I I think that, I mean, hopefully that's that's helpful to people like stumbling onto this idea of Think about how we often do this, whether it's missing a quiet time or falling into repetitive sin, sin that you've said, I'm not, I'm, I, I got to do better. Mm-hmm. I got to stop doing that. And then you do it. What those things have in common is that often our response is shame, which leads me to isolating myself from God. And then because I feel like I have to pay a penance now, I have to do better. And I did that all the time with quiet times. And so then I'd be like, okay, well, essentially what I'd work out in my head is, okay, well, I'm not, I don't deserve to talk to God the rest of today. And so tomorrow I'll do better. And when I do better, then I'll be able to. Well, think about how twisted all of that is. So my lack of abiding in Jesus, I'm going to solve by running further away from him and not abiding, not (laughs) abiding him. And then on top of that, I'm going to, I'm going to reestablish that connection with my own righteousness and own works. Mm -hmm. It is, it is, it's when, when you start to say those things out loud, you start to see through some of the tricks of the enemy and see like how ridiculous it actually is. Why would you, why would we think that running away from Jesus would lead to me being closer to Jesus. But that's kind of what happens in those situations. 
And it happens when we make this relationship transactional. We take things that are meant to be like the principles in scripture and the truths in scripture about how we are to live and what God promises for those who are faithful. And those are meant like those are true, but we often miss the heart of it. When we turn them into a transaction, it would be similar to um, like, I'll just say it's very stereotypical. I we have my wife and I are not stereotypical in a lot of ways, but one way is she loves it when I clean the kitchen. Like that's her favorite thing in the world. If I could do that over and over again, um, and like there's a way that that's a good thing. If if I asked you like, hey Jeff, should I should I clean the kitchen? You'd say, yeah, man, do it. You should totally do that. And when I don't do that, I'm missing out on on a way of expressing love to my wife. But there's a way that I could clean the kitchen and then expecting my wife to respond in a certain way and treat that transactionally. Yes. I I could take that principle, like I could hear you talk at a marriage conference someday and you say like, hey, guys, like clean the kitchen. I'm like, yes, I should clean the kitchen. So I'm going to clean the kitchen. And then if my wife is having a bad day and she doesn't respond in the way, I'm going to say like, wait a second you didn't respond the way that you're supposed to respond when I clean the kitchen. Um, or if I forget to clean the kitchen, then I'm like, well, then I, I failed. And so like, it doesn't matter. Like, why should I, why should I get the kids ready for bed? Cause I already failed like in this, like I'll try, you know, I'll try tomorrow. It, there's, there's a transactional that's not relational. And so spending time with the Lord, for example, like a quiet time is a relational thing. It's not transactional. It's a relational thing. If if you do this in wanting to spend time with him, he's very present and he's with you. And it's going, of course, it's going to be a catalyst for joy and peace in your heart. Of course, as you start your day that way, you're going to continue in that conversation. If you continue in that conversation, you're more likely to continue into that. Of course, all those things are going to happen. But don't confuse that. That's why he says it's important to spend time with him. That's why that's a biblical principle. But don't confuse that with a transaction of, if I do this, then my day will go better. And when I don't do this, my day is going to go poorly because I didn't do the thing. Yeah. And and often it's like we fill in the blanks. Like, if I do this, then God, you must do this. Yes. Right? And we assume we know what's good for us in that moment. And we, we don't. We don't know what's good for us in the next moment. But we can know that he knows what we need before we ask him. He knows, you know, the circumstances we need to be in today. He knows. That's a great illustration too, by the way, the, the dishwashing one. Because when it's transactional, when it's like, I do this so that she will do this, right. it actually ends up being about us. It's mm-hmm. not even about the other person. It's just about what I want and what I get from doing this. When it's actual love, it's about that person and what they get, <laughs> what they receive. It from is my like love. I, I think where I would where I would like put a little nuance in there is I would say if what I want is the relational connection then that's so so yes if it, if if it's transactional in the sense where I'm doing this for you so that you will do the thing that I want from me that's yeah that's selfish and but I do think we are called in scripture to pursue our you know, the reward, but when my reward is like, I, sometimes when I clean the kitchen, it is selfish, but it's because I selfishly want that relationship with my wife, right? Like I, for her also, but like together, like I want, I want her to be, feel loved. And I want, 
I want to, I want her to know that I love her. Like, right. So, so I do think there's a little bit in that. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to approach like say a quiet time with God, I'm doing this for you. I'm not like, I'm, I have a quiet time for, for me, but there's a big difference between doing it transactionally. Like, so God, you'll do these things for me versus I want to be with you. I, I need, I need this relationship and this connection. And so that's why, like, so that's, and I know you, I know you totally agree with that. Yeah. Because you could actually, you could actually have a quiet time and it has nothing to do with God. Correct. Or it has nothing to do with um, loving him. And I do think there's, there's constantly transactions happening with us and God, but we are always on the receiving end. Like he is constantly, we go to him and say, help me. The transaction is he helps us. <laughs> That's what it is. That's it's true. all the time. We go to him and we receive forgiveness. We don't ever help him. No, we don't. No. Six pence down the richer, right? C.S. Lewis. The, the kid gets, the dad gives the kid six pence to buy him a birthday present. The dad is not richer or more wealthy when the kid buys him the present with the money he gave him to buy it. Right. That's what it is constantly. That's a transaction. Yep. Give me the money. Okay, here it is. It, that's what it is. We are always on the receiving mm-hmm. end of his generosity that just overflows constantly to us. And it's interesting, like with love, I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus calls his disciples to love those who don't love them back and to say, like, to greet those who don't greet them. Yeah. So that we will learn, because we all need to be formed. So not only will it bless that person, but we learn what love looks like, that it's not about us, right? It's about, this outward love just flows outward. That's what it does. That's the way God is, right? God is love. He's always moving out towards others and expressing it. He wants others to share in it. Um, yeah, man, that was a good discussion there, Jay. It was. So I, I hope, you know, obviously we hope it's been helpful as you're going through your day. And as you think about this more, it's just, the, hopefully there's some good questions to just ask. Do we believe that God has a purpose? What is his demeanor towards me right now in this moment while I'm on this road? And do I believe that he is powerful to bring about all of his purposes? Like he, everything that he endeavors to do, he does. Like just to even think about that, like everything that God purposes to do, he does. And he does it in his timing. And some of these are flippant sayings that we've said, but there's a reason why they became flippant because they're rooted in in truth. But I would encourage, even as we think about those things, don't just, we sometimes say like, okay, we want that to be rooted in scripture. Yes, but even deeper than that, we want that rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Abiding in, in Christ. So, those things, God is in control, but that's not true because it says it in the Bible. What the Bible says is true because that's who God is. And that distinction right there is just so, so important that that, that kind of goes to where we find our hope. Where does our hope actually rest? It's not going to rest in a principle. It's not going to rest in a text. It's resting in the living king of the universe who loves us and gave himself up for us. What an incredible, what an incredible reality that that is. Even when we don't understand how things are going to work, what the purpose is, where, like where he's going with all of this, 
we and by the way i would i would just tag on to that we can't even imagine all the incredible things that he asked for us that's why he said like no no mind is conceived like no eye is seen like you just can't we can't even ma- imagine what god has prepared for those who love him and so i just constantly am just reminded that jesus is saying like you just have no idea like I know, and he grieves with us in that moment. And he's saying, you have no idea what I'm doing through this. It is way, way better. So much so that's where Paul gets the light momentary affliction. Like just even getting a glimpse of that is saying, whatever this is, he is going to resurrect all of this into joy that is unfathomable. Like I, I can't even in my current human state even begin to imagine what that could look like. And how do we know that those glorious things are true? the cross and the empty grave. That's that's it. That's how we know. So hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully you can live in light of that. If you need help in that, we always, we our desire is to help our people walk and abide in Jesus. And we're figuring this out together. We help each other in that. We, it, it is, it is a family effort. So please don't be isolated. Please don't just come to church and listen to a sermon and, and, and then listen to the podcast, like be connected with people who are endeavoring to abide in Jesus in this way, um, for the good, for your good and for the good of the church. You can reach out to us at connect at faithpeshtigo.com. You can give us a call at the office or just talk to us on a Sunday morning until next time. Grace and peace. Grace and peace.